Thank you very much. I just came from the, uh, the Latino ministry and used the translator. So this is uh, a little bit easier than, than being down with the brothers and sisters. It was very inspiring to be down there with the Latino group. Uh, they inspire me. They fire me up. They're full of so much passion and spirit. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, we're gonna. I'll talk about a few things today. I tell a lot of stories, um, but I really am inspired by what our new endeavor, which is uh, International Mission Brigades, uh, is inspired by the Latino ministries. And because of their love and passion for their countries, it's inspired me to want to join them in being able to help in many great ways in Central America and then eventually down into South America. So I wanted to uh, acknowledge them and just being down there and inspired, fired up. I saw what you did in their video down in Wilmington. It was very, very, very encouraging. And I know the principal of that school is very, very excited to be partnered with Hope Worldwide and with the L.A. Church of Christ. So it's very, very encouraging and very, very inspiring. And I commend you in, in the Lord. I also want to thank you for uh, allowing me to be here today. I want to say a special thanks to my, uh, I was going to say partner in crime, but that's probably not a good thing to say, uh, David, David Blanco. Uh, David has been a friend now for five years. We met in the Philippines before he started with Hope Worldwide. And Kathy asked me last night, she said, what was the first, your first impression of David Blanco? And, uh, and I did, I kind of blushed, you know what I mean? And I wasn't, but I, but the thing I said, you know, he'll be such a, a, a breath of fresh air. Uh, for Hope Worldwide and for the Kingdom. And I'm very grateful and want to really publicly thank David, who really in many ways has taken on the challenge to help us keep the doors open, literally, and has done a tremendous job finding the funding for us to be able to do the works that we do that you'll see today uh, around the globe. So, David, I want to say thank you very much as your brother. I've been given the title, uh, Anyone Can Be Great, uh, and uh, that is true. I believe it is a true statement uh, in Christ. I'm going to read a little bit of a disclaimer here. David uh, said, I don't know if you should read that or not, but I'm going to read it anyway. And I'll read the original version, and then I'll get your reaction later. But uh, I wanted to say that I... Honestly, this is very humbling. It's very humbling to be before you. It's hard at times to come up and share, for me anyway, the great things that you've accomplished with your life. Because I don't think of them that way. I think of them as being a blessed man. Being a blessed man that God has allowed me to do some great things with my life. I believe as a disciple... Greatness only comes through the power of God. His will and His glory. And we must give God all the recognition. When I see the face of the woman that you served, and I see your four children, I see Jesus. I see God being glorified. I see the disciples reflecting the love 
of Almighty God. And that's truly what Jesus wants us to be. And that we can be great. Anyone can be great with God. And anyone can do great things with God. Therefore, today, I take no credit, but give all the glory to God. It's through Him, His love for me, and His strength that I can stand before you here today. You know, you look at that at like $220 million. I don't think a lot about that, but what I do think about is all the people that it's helped. Your brothers and sisters in the Lord, the church in Cambodia, the millions of lives that have been saved is all done through our God. Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Let's turn there. And I'm going to move a little bit quickly. We have a, I have a lot to share about my own life and about the things that are happening. But the text is about Tabitha. And we'll pick up in verse 36. In Joppa, where there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in the upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please, come at once. Peter went with them. When he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. Now tell me that isn't cool. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Boy, that's an amazing account, isn't it? Amazing, amazing count. She made robes and clothing. She was always doing good and helping the poor. So I kind of put it together, and then she's saying she made robes and clothing. So it must have been that she was making robes and clothing for the poor in the church. For the church at that time had many needs. We know from the book of Acts, there was a tremendous amount of poor. And it's amazing that our outreach and our benevolence really from an act standpoint, was more directed towards the internal church than it was to the outside. What does that tell us? Well, that we need to learn to meet the needs of one another within our own church and within the kingdom of God universally. Right? Wouldn't you say? I mean, it's a huge kingdom. Huge kingdom with many needs. But my point was, is they were crying. They were weeping. They were mourning. Were they crying and mourning because they weren't going to get any more clothes? They weren't going to get any more robes, or they weren't going to get any more clothing that she made. No, that was more. Why were they crying? Because they loved her. They loved her. She loved them, and her clothing and her robes were an example of the love that she had. And they loved her. And they were crying, and we'd say, bring her back. Not so she can make more clothes and robes, but we miss her and we love her. Please, Peter. Tabitha was a great person. Why? 
Because she loved the brothers and sisters. And because the brothers and sisters loved her. She was a great person because she loved. Anyone can do great things if they are motivated by love. Jesus tells us of that power and the greatness of love. In John 15, 13, Jesus tells us, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. Wow, you think about that one. If we desire to do great things for God in our communities and in the kingdom of God, Love will never fail. How can I do great things? Be a great lover. Be a lover of God. Be a lover of one another. Give to one another. Because love never fails. Have you ever failed in your life? I fail all the time. But love never fails. Why does love never fail? Because First John tells us what? That God is love. God never fails. He's perfect. He's the ultimate power source. And she was known, Tabitha was known as a great person because she had great love and exemplified it by using her gifts and her talents. You know, it's interesting. I'll, I'll tell you a story. We talk about community. Uh, I was in the ministry for a number of years, and I lived in a town that was, well, in a town that was like a town like Wilmington. Very similar. Very large Latino population. Uh, many, many elderly. Uh, and many homeless. And I used to drive through that town. I would come from meeting somewhere in Boston and then drive through this town. And I would see the people. I would see so many Latino people. I would see so many elderly with their bags and their possessions uh, walking the streets. We'd see the homeless pushing their carts. And I said, what would God want me to do? Would God want me to continue to drive through this community and say, keep warm and well fed? Put the blinders on and pretend that I don't see them? Have you ever done that? I know I have. And I said, you know, maybe we need to do something. So I did some investigating. And I, what are the needs? And I talked to different communities within the Latino community leaders and the elderly that were involved in the community and the homeless. And, and we came to the conclusion that we were going to start a food pantry. And uh, the food pantry uh, was, I believe, an answer to prayer. Along with the brothers and the sisters in the Boston church, we started a food pantry. And it was in partnership with the elderly and with the Latino uh, association in the town. And we provided supplementary groceries. When there were people that were coming into the country and they had families, they barely had a place to live. They had no money. They would go to the Latino association and say, I have no food. I have no place to go. So they could find them a shelter, but there was nowhere for them to go and get food because it would take months for them to get in the rolls for food stamps and assistance. But we were able to, through our food pantry and through our relation with them, provide groceries for these families so they could feed their children. And I'm happy to say that was in 1989. As we speak today, the food pantry is still running. And it has served over 100,000 people. 
I'm, I'm encouraged about that. The community is so grateful for the food pantry. The people are grateful. I'm grateful. And it's a great thing that's been accomplished by God because of love. Love never fails. You know, because of the food pantry, I built a relationship with the Latino leaders there. And they came to me and they said, we have a family of four children, ranging from ages from about 12 through uh, baby, maybe four or five years old, two boys and two girls. And they said their mom is serving two life sentences in jail. And the children, there's seven of them, living in one room. And the person who's taking care of them cannot do it anymore. So they're going to put the children in the system and split them up. And I said, well, what should we do? I went back to my wife. I said, Lori, I think we need to take the two boys. And she said, I think we do. Then I went to my children. I had two boys and a daughter, and they're about, the two boys are about the same age. I said, boys, how would you like to have two new brothers? And they said, what do you mean, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> and we all agreed as a family, and we took Miguel and Edgar. They're of Puerto Rican descent. And they were with us for five or six years. And uh, Miguel right now actually is at my house waiting for me to come back. He's not, had now lived in Chicago, and they're doing great. When I first met Miguel, he was walking the streets in Framingham, where we lived, in the middle of a snowstorm. He didn't even have a winter jacket. You know, I'm so grateful that God has allowed me to do things like that. To me, those are great things that are motivated by love. We are we're engaged in a new adventure. We're off on a new adventure. The the uh, the procurement thing is is going along, and and I and I really uh, really appreciate what Marco said because he's so true. People say, "What do you do?" I say, "Well, they, they gave me a title, but really, I'm a beggar. I'm a professional beggar. I go and I ask people for things for nothing. Then they tell me no, and I beg harder. And then <laughs> then I then I tell them more stories because it's really important. I say, "You don't understand. If you don't give this, they're going to die. We need your help." And they give. Marco asked me to share a story about Afghanistan. In Afghanistan around the year, I think it was around the year 2000, somewhere in there, uh, I got a call. There was a brother by the name of Dr. Mark Timlin, who was from the UK, your brother in the Lord. And he decided he wanted to go to Afghanistan to start a program there. It's like, Excuse me, you want to go where? You want to go to Afghanistan and start a program? Okay. So he did. He went. He took his wife, himself, a doctor, and they went to Afghanistan. And uh, in order for him to be able to set up a nonprofit there, he had to be able to get a certificate. And he had to get the certificate from the Taliban because the Taliban was still in power. So all the other NGOs had left the country. Here's Mark going into the country. Right, saying, I want to start an NGO. All the other NGOs are leaving. He goes to the Taliban. He says, you know, look at, I, 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 I want to start an NGO here. And they said, well, give us $50,000 and we'll give you a certificate. 
He said, I don't have $50,000. I only have $5. You know what I mean? So he said, well, what about if we gave you $250,000 worth of medicine and medical supplies for your hospital? And he said, they said, if you do that, we'll give you a license. So Mark called the brother Mohan Nanjida, and Mohan called me. He said, Walter, we have this opportunity to help in, in Afghanistan to get a license. Do you think you can help us get $250,000 worth of medicine and medical supplies to Kabul, Afghanistan? I said, well, by faith, that's my next point, by faith, by faith, in a lot of love, in a lot of prayer, maybe, yes, we can do this. And I called my partners and the, and the pharmaceutical companies and the medical corporates that we have an opportunity to get into Afghanistan to help. Primarily in the hospitals, in the OBGYN clinics, in the children's pediatrics. And I said, you guys want to sign up with me? They did. Uh, we collected about almost a million dollars worth of medicine and medical supplies. Uh, we had a relationship with FedEx. We staged it all in Los Angeles at the airport. FedEx flew it to, uh, to London for us. The RAF picked it up in London, put it on transport planes, flew it into Kabul, and Mark got his license in the Taliban. And to this day, we're working in Afghanistan, helping thousands and thousands of people. And, uh, you know, God is incredible in what he does. Faith enables us to accomplish great things. First, love motivates us, and love never fails. But faith enables us to accomplish great things. Matthew 17, verse 20 and 21. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. You think about that, you go, oh, okay, yeah, the mountain, uh, uh, is it really going to move from here to there? That's not what, what it's all about. It's, about. it's about our faith. With faith, nothing is impossible for you. Anyone that wants to do great things and be great, we must have faith. And we only need a little bit of faith. If you've been a disciple for, for years, you used to think, oh, it's going to get easier. Didn't you? No, when you first got baptized, you think, oh, this is going to get easier. Or when you were 30 years old, you go, you look at the guys who are in their late 50s and early 60s, you go, man, their life's a lot easier than my life. Let me tell you, it doesn't get easier. You need more faith. I find the challenges are just as difficult. But by faith, by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, we can do anything. We can send it into Afghanistan. We can change the world. We can change and help our brothers and sisters in Central America and Latin America. We're involved in international community service brigades to churches in Honduras, Guatemala, soon Nicaragua, Jamaica. We're involved in connecting our Latino brothers and sisters from the U.S. with Latino churches and families in Central America. Let me, let me just tell you, it's better to said in a story. I, w- I was in Honduras. Uh, this is probably about a year and a half ago, may- maybe two years now. And I was invited back to, in Boston to do early communion for the children's ministry. 
And I said, you know what? I just want to share about the brothers and sisters in Honduras. The church there is about 450 disciples and 200 plus kids. 85% of the church makes $300 a month or less. Think about that. You say, well, the cost of living must be less there. You buy a Coke there, it costs a dollar. Buy a cup of coffee, it costs a dollar. Gasoline's over $4 a gallon. $4 a gallon. And the 85% of the church makes $300 a month. Now listen to this one. This blew my mind. They take up two contributions a week. Not one, two. One for the work of the poor. Now remember, they're making $300 a month. Okay? One for the poor and one for the ministry. I was so convicted, I came home and upped my contribution. I was so convicted by them. The brothers and sisters, so I'm, I'm, I'm sharing all this, and this sister sits down next to me. Her name is Julia. She's in her early 20s, Latino from Honduras. And she says, can I go with you when you go back? I said, yes, you can come with me. She goes, I send a little box back to my family there, but I really want to go back and work with you on that. I said, please come with us. We need you. We need you. So she signed up. And she painted the faces of about 300 kids. Doug and Stacy were there, and, and, and David and, and, and Kathy, and they're filming. She just painted faces all day. She was so fired up. She had people looking like mouses and angels, and uh, she had it all going on, pirates. And, it was, and you couldn't tell the difference between her and the kids. She was so happy and so excited. We had about 40 plus 43 volunteers on that trip. We went back and we were closing on Saturday night. I said, let's get together and have a little time of sharing. Julia starts to weep. I don't mean cry. I mean weep. Like I wept when my father died. And we said to her, are you okay? And she said, yes, I've never been happier in my life. And I said, why are you so happy and why are you crying? And she said, because I didn't tell you the rest of the story. You know I'm from Honduras. You know I'm from here. When I was two years old, my mother left me. And I was one of these children that waited in these brigades for a pair of shoes, for some medicine, and something to eat. And I am so grateful that Almighty God has brought me back here to help the children that were just like me. See, it's amazing what God can do when given the opportunity for disciples to serve and to love and to do great things. There's another sister. I have so many stories. Another sister, Martha. Martha's in the same room. She's crying. And I'm going, wow, this is really something. <laughs> she, you know, I'm a guy. I'm kind of like, oh, what do I do? And my wife's helping me out, you know. I'm... Martha's crying. And she says, I must tell you too. I waited in the lines. These are brothers and sisters. She waited in the lines. Come to find out, her whole family comes to church when we're there. Her aunts, her uncles, 
I think it was her mother. She had five people that lived right in San Pedro Sula that came to church. They were so fired up to see the church, see the disciples from the U.S. serving the brothers and sisters in San Pedro Sula. They were amazed at our fellowship. That's totally God. It's amazing what God can do. There was a sister named Norma. She was she would come to church and she had her high top sneakers and she had two canes and she would walk like this. Just like this. She's fifty she's I thought she was in her seventies, but she was fifty two. She's our sister in the Lord. And I was talking to Dulce who leads the church and I said she said, Yeah, this is our sister Norma. I said, she doesn't walk very good. She goes, I know. We're going to have her see the doctor. I said, that would be really good to see the doctor. And she goes, but you know what, Walter? She's there every Wednesday. She's there every Sunday. And you could see the pain on her face every time she took a step. So we brought her in to see the doctor. And we took off her sneakers. You could not have believed the diabetic lesions that she had on her feet. They went from her toes to her heel and were deep. The brothers and sisters from the U.S. and the doctors were shocked. And we were able to heat water and boil water and clean her wounds and put on the, disinf- the, the antibiotics that needed to be there, wrap her feet. She hadn't had diabetes medicine in years And her diabetes was out of control because she couldn't afford it. This is our sister in the Lord. We were able to. We had brought down a lot of medicine, maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars worth. And we were able to give her enough medicine and teach her how to care for her diabetes for six months until we see her on the next return. What we're about... And then I'm going to ask Doug and Stacy if they'll come up and share. What we're about, I believe, is taking care of our believers. Are you with me there? Are you with me? Doug will talk about the children. I, I want to introduce two of my dearest friends. We've been through the we've been through the war together, and Doug and Doug is a pediatric uh, doctor, and Stacy's she has a degree way beyond pediatric doctor working with Doug. So, but uh, they've been with us now on uh, three of our brigades, and Doug and Stacy not only go to the brigades, but Doug's attitude is Honduras is now mine. I'm going to take full responsibility for the children in the church in San Pedro Sula and I'm going to make sure the children are taken care of and Doug has gone back three times now and has seen literally hundreds of the kids from the church who are now in a system and were able to take care of them but I want to turn it over to them and they want to share a few thoughts after that we'll go and we'll start the video okay I have about a 10 minute video uh, uh, let them share. I'll introduce the video so I can explain some of it. Though. Wow. 
you know, Walter talked about all those women crying and stuff, and he was weeping as well, and we're both rather emotional, so we shouldn't be around each other that often. But uh, this is my incredible wife, Stacy. She's going to share just a little bit, because one of the things I want you to get a vision for is to come down. I'm marketing now. Okay, I'm going to market. I'll just be blank. Uh, you know, the reality is I took my entire family down here this last June. And uh, my wife will share a little bit about that, but I will follow up a little bit on that. But it is, it's just a marvelous experience. But I'm going to turn it over to my wife for a sec. Um, I just want to share a little bit about the trip and just the impact it really had on my heart. And first of all, I know that my family is incredibly blessed to have the Kakowskis as lifelong friends. They're amazing. And... Um, it was a couple years ago, we get a call, and Walter's heading back down to Honduras and wanted some doctoring, whatever. So, because my husband is a pediatrician, and my husband has an amazing heart to love people, he was like, whatever you need, Walter, I'm there. And I was fortunate enough to go on his second trip um, last June. And I just have to tell this short story, is that we, we're getting off the airplane and going through customs, and it's crazy, and it's loud and busy, and we're customs, and then over there is the airport, and it is like mob. It's like, I've never seen such a small airport so crowded. Like, what is this? And I lose my husband and my family somewhere back there, and I get through, and the, the airport was crowded because there were so many of our brothers and sisters who knew we were coming who came to greet us. And you have to know that, again, you go there, they don't speak English. Very few speak English. But these people, and the only thing they knew about me was I was a sister in Christ. And they never stopped loving me the whole time I was there. And there's this whole group of people. And all of a sudden, I'm standing there, somebody's trying to talk to me in Spanish, and they're whipping out a card, and my husband's business card from his trip before. And Anyway, I see these two little boys, about five and seven, take off from the group, and they just shoot, shoot away. And I turn around and look, and it was my husband, Doug, coming through customs. And he's walking now with two little boys hanging onto his legs. Because the trip before, he made such an impact on these, on these families and these children. Because I think, I know for me, sometimes I get immune. Like, I know there's poor in America. I know there's poor worldwide. I know there's poor in my community. I know there's poor people down the street. And, you know, it is amazing. It's amazing to see what you guys have done as a church here in L.A. And not to take away from that because we need to do that in our communities. But I think something that really impacted me on this trip was that these people aren't just the poor of the world. These people are our brothers and sisters. Like, they're our brothers and sisters. And they go to bed without food. Their kids walk around without shoes. And like Walter said, the amount of money they make. You know, like, we can go to our cabinets in our bathroom and take Advil when we have a headache. You know, Dulce, what, what Walter was sharing about, she's a women's ministry leader there. She had hip surgery a while ago, and she still has pain in her hip. And we're working in the pharmacy together, and she starts telling me the story and how her hip started hurting. And I, I'm like, we've got, we brought down hundreds of bottles of Advil. And I'm like, here, take some Advil. And, you know, she was taking like one every other day. And no wonder her hip was still hurting. Like, 
and I'm not a doctor, but I was like, here, take three. And then I gave her, she goes, can I, she goes, can I do that? And, and I go, well, here, take some bottles. She goes, can I have the, they don't even have the money to buy, you know, ibuprofen. And it, it just, like I said, it hit my heart because these are our brothers and sisters who, what we have in America, again, it's, we can take our kids, even if we don't have insurance, we can take and go get the medical help. They can't. And I said, I appreciate my husband's heart to really adopt these kids because now they do have charts. There's a lot of kids that have, need a lot of medicine. He's committed to go every six months so he can go take the medicine and give them enough for six months. So when he goes back, he can give them another supply. But I just wanted to leave with this one scripture because, like I said, this the tr- trip, and I'm prayerfully with things in my life, I'm committed to continue to accompany my husband. Um, I wasn't able to go recently when he was there um i had a daughter that got married so life was a little crazy after that um uh, sorry but there's that scripture in james and i know we've probably read it a million times but again for me having it hit me really in the face again that these are our brothers they're just not they're they're brothers and sisters and that is that it goes what good is it my brothers if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food if one of you says to him go i wish you well keep warm and well fed but does nothing about his physical needs what good is it you know what good in the same way faith by itself if not accompanied by action is dead and again it's our brothers and sisters who need us, who needs our support and our love. Um, and so, anyway, thank you. Wow. I have a lot of stories, too, but I'm not going to tell any of them. Uh, but I'd love to tell you some later. So, um, I am a physician, um, but first and foremost, a child of God one of your brothers uh, and you know as you grow in your faith and as you grow in age you go what is what is my walk all about you know I think um, you know, we did our devotions with our children you know I've been a disciple since 90 praise God uh, he saved my marriage saved my family but devotional, sharing with all my patients at my office, baptizing the parents, etc., etc., you know, doing all this stuff. And yet, I'm going to share just a quick scripture here. Uh, this is my duel. See, I opened my big mouth up in San Pedro Sula. I got up there to do the communion service the first time we were there, January, a year ago. And I said, next time I'm here, I'll preach in Spanish. And You're working on Bit off more than I can chew at 50. Acquiring a language is really challenging, but I am getting her down with me and Rosetta Stone. However, I'm going to read to you in English. This is uh, out of the book of Luke. And this is uh, 